1: Amber Jackson was a free spirit. Her parents had passed away and she had no children, save for her beloved two small dogs. Amber grew up in Fairfax, California, but her love of exploring and visiting new places brought her to paradise in 2000, when she packed up her life and moved to Hawaii's fourth largest island, Kauai, where there were plenty of beaches to wander and rainforests to explore. There she lived happily for a decade. But on July 3rd, 2010, Amber's decomposing remains were found in a remote ravine. And responding law enforcement officials knew that Amber's life had ended due to foul play. More specifically, a great deal of blunt force trauma to her head and face. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow.
0: And I'm Derek Lavasser.
1: So today we're actually, we're covering a case that you investigated on breaking homicide.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. few Did a few there.
1: Did a few cases there?
0: Yeah. A few cases on BH.
1: And you actually got to go to Hawaii for this one.
0: Yes, I did. And... and uh you wish you were going under better circumstances, uh, but Kauai is a beautiful place.
1: And uh, Derek was showing me wood carvings he got when he was in Hawaii, and they were really cool. And yeah. now, now we know that Derek likes wood carvings.
0: I do like wood carvings. Mm-hmm. If any, any wood carvers out there, I love uh, uh, obviously original pieces. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, when I went to. Um, both Oahu and Kauai, I, I got a piece from each place. And if you were following me on Instagram during those times, you got to see it because I, I make it a a point to find the original artists and try to take a selfie or something with them or at least have them at least carve their names in the pieces.
1: So what we need to do now, guys, is we need to find reasons to go to different countries so Derek can get more wood carvings.
0: Not, I'm not going to argue with you there.
1: <laughs> well, today's case actually... Um, it's it's very disturbing and it, it's driving me crazy a little bit that there there seems to be a lot of of questions I had while I was researching it that went unanswered. So I'm hoping that while we we talk about it today, you can kind of clear some things up and and shine a light on things that I was a little in the dark about.
0: Yeah. And as you already know, and I'll say it to everybody who's listening or watching, this is an ongoing investigation, regardless of your your own opinions on what should be shared. I did make an agreement with the Kauai Police Department to only share certain things. So there, there is information that I know that I'm not at liberty to share. I just don't want you guys thinking that I'm doing this intentionally. It's just, you know, it's a I, I, my word is all I got. And I don't want to break that, even though it's been a couple years since I made since I made that agreement.
1: You know, you're just doing it to be mysterious. Stop it.
0: Yes, of course. <laughs> not get sued or not be arrested. That too.
1: And and keep your word, which yes, is your bond. Yes, keep my word. Yes. It,
0: I mean, you think about it, you know, we don't know what cases we're going to do in the future and what you don't want. It could be you and I, where we go somewhere and the law enforcement guy goes, hey, I looked you up. And, you know, from what I heard when I called Kauai police, they asked you not to say something and a year or two later, you were like blurting it out everywhere.
1: I get it, man. Your yeah. reputation's everything. That's all you got. You can't burn bridges. Nope. Well, I want to talk about Amber Jackson today. Amber Jackson was 47 years old when she made the move to Hawaii. This was a place she had visited several times before. She fell in love with it. I think a lot of people kind of have that experience, especially when they leave, you know, the mainland and they go to Hawaii. It's a a magical place. So while she's in Hawaii, she worked as a secretary for the Hawaii State Teachers Association. But it seems like her real passion was buying property and renovating it. So when she first arrived on the island, she bought the home that she would be living in. And with the help of her best friends in Kauai, their names were Terry and Ken Seplo. she fixed it up and she decorated it to her tastes. Now, by the time of her death in 2010, Amber had purchased and renovated four different homes. And Terry Seplo said that Amber had a really keen eye when it came to decorating, and they'd have fun going shopping at garage sales and thrift shops to furnish and decorate the houses which all turned out beautifully and true to Amber's unique style. Amber was described as a sweet and generous person, and Terry and Ken Seplo said they had a wonderful relationship with her and she made living on the island fun. The couple and Amber would meet every week for dinner on the same day and at the same time like clockwork. So when she didn't show up on the evening of June twenty fourth, two 2010, the Seplos were immediately concerned. Terry Seplo said, quote, Amber was always prompt, and when she didn't show, we started leaving voicemails on her phone and calling her office where she worked, end quote. So dinner had been scheduled that night for 5 p.m., and by 6.30, the CEPLOs were calling the hospitals to see if Amber may have been in an accident, but she was nowhere to be found, and she wasn't answering her cell phone. At some point during that evening, in between calling Amber and checking hospitals, Terry, who had just seen Amber two days prior during a hike they went on together, she called a man named Greg Glazer. Now, Amber lived alone in her home, but she'd allowed Greg Glazer to live on her property in, I guess, this little hut or a yurt is what he called it. So did you see? Did you see this yurt, by the way?
0: So I went there. First off, I didn't even know what a yurt was. (laughs) Yeah. But like you said, it's it's essentially like a hut, but an oversized, like a huge one, like yeah. basically a small house and it's circular in shape. And to answer your question, no, we went to Amber's property, which is now owned by another family. They were very nice. They had no issue with us at least exploring the outside part of the property. Mm-hmm. It's a big piece of land, actually. And the yurt was about um, 20 to 30 feet in the back of the property and it was up on a hill or like a higher like a, a higher elevated portion of the property the yurt was no longer there it was kind of beaten down over the years with bad storms and weather and eventually they took it down the only thing that remained was at certain parts you could see the exterior of the circular exterior of where the the yurt was but it was a lot of there was a lot of overgrowth at that point so you, you could see the point that the reason we did it sorry to cut you off there was because I wanted to see if you could see Amber's house right. from where the yurt was. That's what and I was going to ask see, you. Yeah. But would you be able to hear something mm-hmm. if there was something going on inside? And answer that question. It wasn't as close as I would have liked it to be to say definitively yes, you would hear, yes, you would see, but it wasn't too far away where it would be impossible. But if you were inside the yurt and you had were watching something or listening to something or not paying attention, I could see how you might miss it.
1: How far would you say the yurt was from the main house?
0: Uh, I, yeah, it was like 20, 30 feet. I think I said it was about 20, maybe 30 feet max.
1: Not far. And you said it's on an elevated area, so probably had a, a pretty good view of the main house.
0: Y- yes and no. There's a lot of... it was an, uh, It's a wooded area. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, there was a little path you would take to get up to it. Now, mind you, I was there almost 11 years later, so it might have been different, more well-kept when I was there, but when I was there, the woods were blocking your view from the main house, but from photos that I saw of the yurt, you could see the yurt from, the, you know, the, from Amber's home. So again, at that time, I do think it would be in sight if you were looking into her house, and I also think that if you were outside or you didn't have any music or TV on in the yurt, you would be able to hear or see something going on on the outside.
1: So he had electricity in this yurt?
0: Yes, I believe so. Absolutely. Solar power or whatever, but he lived there like full time. I mean, it's a good question. I can't tell you, and I did say TV or radio, right? But I never confirmed whether he had uh, any type of electricity there. So I guess it's an assumption on my part, but I could tell you he wasn't staying there as like a temporary stay. When I saw photos of the yurt, it had like a bar It was like a really nice setup on the inside. It was like high end. So I'm assuming there was some type of electricity because he had lighting in there and stuff. Um, Was it like connected to the power of the house or was it solar powered? I couldn't tell you. But my assumption is that he had running water and electricity there because he was living there full time.
1: Well, the relationship between Greg Glazer and Amber kind of interesting, right? Greg was very interesting, um, odd, but I don't know how they met either. I'm not sure if you can give me some insight on that.
0: No, no, I can't remember off the top of my head how they met. I really can't. It was an odd relationship and I'm sure you're going to get into it, but he was like 20 years younger than her.
1: Yeah, he was roughly 20 years younger than Amber. And, uh, you know, he was, he's been described as like your typical sort of hippie surfer dude, you know, percent. <laughs> the kind of guy who would live in a yurt full time.
0: <laughs> 1000%. Like I saw him and I was like, okay, yeah, that yeah. makes sense.
1: You know, and he even talks kind of like that. Like, you know, just chill, like yes. stretches his words out. Like he's mm-hmm. high all the time. So, which is fine. I mean, I'm completely support that, but, um, He wasn't always chill, right? Because Terry, Amber's friend, she recalled Amber telling her about Greg's fitful rages. Amber had told Terry that there would be times when Greg would lose his temper, he would fly into a rage, and he would scream and rant so loudly that Amber would have to tell him to keep it down or else the neighbors might think he was abusing her. So it's well known that Amber and Greg were friends. And they would, you know, sometimes spend time together. So Terry had called him to find out if he'd seen Amber, but he claimed that he'd thought Amber was with the Seplos and he hadn't seen her all day. So Terry decided to drive to Amber's house, check things out for herself. But on her way to Amber's house, she passed Greg driving the other way down the street in his white Jeep Wagoneer. So she stopped. She rolled down her window And uh, Terry basically told Greg, listen, like, we can't get a hold of Amber. We are really worried about Amber. No one knows where she is. And the way that Greg behaved at that moment scared Terry. She claims he took both of his hands and he began pounding them on the steering wheel and screaming at the top of his lungs. So she rolled up her window and kept driving. At Amber's house, nothing seemed out of place, and Amber's 2001 Honda CRV was parked in the driveway. So at this point, Terry called the police and reported her best friend missing.
0: Yeah, it was interesting with Greg, and I I know we're going to get there, but I had the opportunity to interview him. He wasn't hostile or violent with me, but I will say he's very aggressive. And, you know, if you watch Breaking Homicide, it's very a small portion of the whole interview, but he's very uh, dramatic. And theatrical and yeah. he's pounding the table and he was getting all fired up, even talking about what he would have done if he saw, right. you know, Amber's effect. and this is, you know, a long time later. So I can only imagine a younger version of Greg, what he would have been like, um, really, really interesting character, really hard to interview because I was trying to keep him focused on the, the questioning that I was trying to, you know, hit him with because I was trying to elicit a specific response he was all over the place. I will tell you this. I found out after this is something that didn't make the show. If you watch the episode, you'll see him constantly drinking from a little juice bottle. Usually they'll cut that out. Mm-hmm. It's like OJ. And as he's sitting there talking to me, I, I started to smell alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I said to him, Craig, are you are you drinking right now? And he's <laughs> like, Yeah, bro. I needed to calm my nerves, bro. And I was like, okay, that, you know, I'm looking around, I'm like, did we not? check this beforehand he wasn't drunk during the interview but that's the type of guy he was um and i, I you're going to talk about the interview or are you bringing that up during this, oh, yeah. this whole thing sec- okay so i'll save some of the other anecdotal things yeah. that had to take place in order to get him there because it was crazy but um
1: i actually can't wait because th- your interview with with Greg was one of my favorite parts <laughs> was one of my favorite parts of the Breaking Homicide episode because I could tell he's like a live wire man he's he was all hard, over the place
0: difficult difficult to keep on track
1: you looked like an impatient parent at some points you were like are you alright dude <laughs> like, And he's,
0: I, I wish so, I had the uncut interview
1: i could just tell in your eyes you were over it at some point you're like i can't even like contain him at some point so that was very interesting um before we dive into that though let's take a quick break okay so we're back and i want to talk about you know we'll kind of go back a little bit terry Seplow doesn't find amber at home She reports her missing, and the next day, the police searched Amber's house. They took photos. They conducted aerial searches of the area, and Amber's nephew, Matthew Alexander, he flew in from Atlanta, Georgia, to help the search. He and his aunt were very close. He'd just seen her six months prior when uh, he and some friends had visited Amber to do some surfing on the island. Now, initially, Matthew said that they were all very worried that Amber may have gone hiking and gotten lost or fallen and hurt herself. There was no sign of her anywhere, and the police found her purse and cell phone inside her vehicle parked in the driveway of her home. And law enforcement found no sign of a struggle or signs of blood inside the house. The assistant chief of police, Bryson Ponce, said, quote, It looked suspicious. Something seemed off. Her car was still at home. Some of her personal items were still in her car. It just seemed strange. End quote.
0: Yeah, they they did a... You know, in the visuals, you guys will see the pictures probably come up here. But in the in, it, they actually did luminol testing, all that stuff. So it wasn't just what they were able to see with their eyes. They did some further testing of of the uh, Amber's house and found uh, no signs of blood. It's also worth noting that in the yurt, they did the same thing and there were strong remnants of bleach.
1: Oh, that wasn't in the episode.
0: It was not. It was not. Nope. A lot of it doesn't make the show not saying it's right or wrong, but there are things that as we're talking about it, I'm remembering that there was uh, signs of a cleaning agent in the uh, yurt and his uh, his response was obviously, I just cleaned not too long ago
1: and you're talking about Greg's yurt
0: Greg's g- yurt yes
1: okay, okay. so that's interesting.
0: It was very interesting, absolutely definitely something worth noting. that's for sure.
1: Uh-huh, I'm glad you noted it. So noted. <laughs> she's missing, right? They're looking for her. They can't find her. And unfortunately, nine days later, on July 3rd, 2010, Amber's decomposing body was found in a heavily forested and very isolated area on the island. She'd been discovered by a pig hunter and his dogs. The dogs had apparently led the hunter to her body, which was located roughly 30 yards down in a ravine. And it was clear due to the level of decomposition that Amber had died shortly after she went missing. So this wasn't a, a situation where she'd been taken and and held for a while because she was so badly decomposed. We probably assume that she was killed shortly after she, she was missing.
0: Yeah, we can usually tell, you know, pathologists can usually tell based on, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, I think by this point everybody... Who is on this journey with us? Is that we talk about these different cases? Knows that there are things at this point that you can tell whether it's fly larvae um, elements surrounding the area that you can look at a body and because of their experience in dealing with cases similar to this in the past, they can narrow it down pretty quickly as to how long the body has been decomposing and it, it aligned with the date that she disappeared.
1: And listen, I've never been to Hawaii. I would love to go, but as of this point, I never have been. But this is July. It's Hawaii. I'm going to assume it's hot, very oh, hot yeah. and and moist, right? It's a humid place because you're right yes. on the water. There's a lot of like rainforest. There's a lot of trees and stuff which hold the moisture. So you're going to see a speedy decomposition in those There's a, climates. There's a
0: ravine right there. Yeah. And you think about if you've ever been to a lake or a, a stagnant body of water where insects and things like that, you know, imagine just flesh being out there. You know, it's it's going to be everything's going to be attracted to it, including other animals in the area.
1: Ugh. Well, there's something interesting is she had the autopsy and they said there was no sign of sexual assault or sexual activity. She was fully dressed, but she was barefoot and her shoes were missing. Now, there were also tire tracks found at the scene that were photographed. But apparently at that time, the Kauai Police Department did not have the resources to make casts of the tire tracks, so all they were able to do was photograph them. The autopsy showed that Amber had died from blunt force trauma to the right side of her face, and essentially the entire side of her face had been crushed in, most likely with an elongated and heavy object like a baseball bat or a large piece of wood. It's believed that she sustained this injury while the left side of her face was pressed against something that kept it still and stabilized, so like a hard, solid surface.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not hard to kind of see how they come to that conclusion because if your head has the ability to move, Hmm. it will absorb some of that blunt force. Yeah. But when your head is in a position where it can't retreat at all, the only thing that can absorb that blow is your bones. And her face was severely damaged. Uh, I remember sitting down with the forensic pathologist, Conte D'Alwa. She's done over a thousand uh, court testimonies in regards to pathology. She's excellent. She's one of the best in the world. And I've spoken about her before. Mm -hmm. And she said it right out on camera and off camera that this assault was severe. It may have even been multiple blows based on the... um, the spurring of the bones. Mm-hmm. She wasn't able to determine that definitively, but she did a great uh, diagram of the injuries and what bones had been fractured or broken and it w- it was a lot.
1: Yeah, it it was a, a brutal attack. A brutal attack yes. that I would say in in the experience that I have did not come from a stranger. If you're going to hurt or hit somebody like that, it's personal. There's emotion behind it. There's true rage and anger behind it. And, you know, I don't understand how because I'm looking at all of these interviews with people who knew Amber, and not one person had anything bad to say about her. In fact, most of these people said she was the sweetest person. She never had anything bad to say about anybody. She was a hard worker. She always held a job. She was there to help anybody who needed it. She was fun-loving. She was kind and giving. And I I can't imagine what could make somebody be so full of rage for such a nice person.
0: It does seem like a crime of passion, for sure. Um, And I would lean towards that as well. So we're on the same page. But just to play devil's advocate, it could have been a situation where she fought back and the person had to improvise and how they carried out their attack. It's possible. Uh, I'd like to think she fought back. I would like to think that this wasn't something where she was caught off guard or it was Um, But I, I do agree with your assessment as far as this appears to be someone who was enraged mm-hmm. and wanted to hurt Amber.
1: Not just kill her. Maybe just in the moment, they wanted to hurt her. But I can't imagine what a stranger, what the motive for a stranger would be. Because as far as I know, nothing was taken from her. Her purse, her phone. No signs of a robbery? Yeah, her purse, her phone is in her car. No signs of a robbery. She wasn't sexually assaulted. So not many strangers just approach somebody and and beat them, you know, beat their faces in for no reason, just because they want to.
0: We looked into past people that she could have had altercations with. This is where I have to be careful. So I can tell you this. The Kauai Police Department had access to her phone records and her internet history. Um, There were a couple of things that could have been something where she might have encountered someone. We looked down that road and there was nothing there either. And again, I know I'm being kind of like really wishy-washy here.
1: Cryptic. You, I'm cryptic. What do you yes. mean specifically things she encountered, like people she met or altercations she had? Let me give you some examples. Had, okay.
0: And maybe it's something similar to this. If you're advertising something on Facebook or uh, selling something on eBay, where you might encounter someone who would in, you would interact with who you, who's a stranger, but you have business with, where that person you could eventually come in contact with this person for something legitimate, even though that person has nefarious intentions. Um, So there may have been some things where she was doing some stuff online that might have caused her to encounter a stranger, but there was no, based on her phone records, those things never took place.
1: Oh, so dead ends.
0: Dead ends. We, you know, this information was shared with me. These are all things that were investigated. There doesn't appear to be anybody that evening that she was conversating with by phone or by text that at this point has been not identified.
1: Thank you for anticipating one of my questions, because (laughs) that that is exactly what I wanted to know. Yes. Because you've got her car at home, her phone in her car. So you would think if she's and, and no blood found in the house, right? They did luminol, everything. So you'd think either she was attacked at home Un- unsuspecting not ex- you know not expecting someone to be there because you'd think if she had invited someone over if she planned to meet somebody out there'd be some sort of communication on her cell phone
0: 100
1: but there was nothing but also it doesn't appear as if her home was a crime scene
0: it doesn't appear it was a crime scene based on the lack of blood but i'm sh- i don't want to steal the thunder here but i'm sure you're going to get into the things that from her house that day that were very suspicious no, you're not going there. So because that it, wasn't
1: in the episode, and I found it nowhere. No, there there's stuff in the episode as far as in her house. Yeah,
0: in the kitchen. Oh yes, there were. Yes. there's the broken. Is this in the? I don't want to get yes, ahead of us. Was that it? is,
1: it is. Um, okay, so I'll wait. I'll yeah, wait on going okay. there. <laughs> well, obviously, one of the first people that you wanted to talk to while you were in Kauai in regards to Amber's murder was her friend Greg Glazer, the surfer guy who lived in a yurt on Amber's property. Because not only were you told by the Seplos that Greg was known to have a temper, but they also told you that Amber had mentioned something to them about a weapon he had that he called his protector. And they said it was like maybe a bat or a pipe of some kind. And since Amber's autopsy showed she'd been killed by some sort of heavy weapon, the potential connection was obvious. Additionally, a friend of Amber's, her name was Nancy Murphy, she told the media that Amber was, quote, thinking of trying to move back to the Bay Area, mainly to get away from a boyfriend who lived on her property, end quote. So you went and spoke to Greg in person, and Greg claimed that he had found out Amber was missing through her friend Terry, and the last time he'd seen Amber was the night before, June 23rd, and they had dinner together in his yurt. Greg Glazer said that he and Amber had been best friends for a few years, They were best friends who sometimes had sex, but he claimed there was no serious relationship between them. It was just drunken fun once in a while. On the evening that they had dinner, Greg said Amber was behaving completely normally. She was happy, in a good mood. They met up for dinner around 7 or 8 p.m., and after they had eaten, Greg asked Amber if she wanted to have sex, and she said no. And then he said he watched her walk almost all the way back to the main house where she lived. Um, So something I noticed from this interview between you and Greg was that he, he seemed really reticent to admit to you that he'd asked Amber for sex that night. He didn't seem to have a problem admitting to you that they did occasionally have sex. He was very open about that, but he seemed less willing to reveal that he had propositioned her that evening and that she had turned him down. And now we know Greg was probably the last person to see Amber alive, right?
0: That's that's what we concluded that he was, in fact, the last person known to have seen her alive. He was kind of like goofy when he said like, oh, yeah, and I tried to have sex with her and she she wasn't having it. And he like even like made a little bit of like he was like imitating the voice Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it it was a little strange. And you could you could take it a couple different ways. Like we talk about baselines, right, when you're interviewing someone. And we we really got into it as far as like you're looking for something that deviates from their normal behavior throughout the conversation. And with Greg, it was very difficult because as we've already established, he had so many different things that I was trying to absorb and notate of like his baseline behavior. But he was so erratic. I really couldn't get a solid baseline. But to what we were just saying, the one thing I did notice that was a little odd and you pointed it out. So clearly you noticed as well. He did have this demeanor throughout the conversation that was erratic, but when it came to the to the to discussing the fact that he was turned down, essentially, his mannerism did change mm-hmm. from everything else. And you could take that a few ways. It was just he was embarrassed by saying he got turned down, or was it something that made him uncomfortable? And then you have to ask yourself by unpacking it, why would that make him uncomfortable? Is it uncomfortable because that was possibly a motive for an assault when he was turned down? I don't know. But that is a very good example of trying to establish a baseline during a conversation, asking an uncomfortable question that may elicit a lie and having someone display a behavior that that, that's not your, quote unquote, normal behavior when someone lies, but just different from what they've been doing or displaying the entire time you were speaking. That makes sense.
1: I almost felt like um, he knew it looked suspicious. Right. Like, like he, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was self-aware of the fact that the the night she goes missing, possibly, he asks her if she wants to have sex. She says no. And this is basically the last interaction that they have. And so if right. you think about it, she's missing. She turns up dead. He's the last person to see her. They they're having sex on the regular that night she says no and now he's like oh shit this looks pretty bad doesn't it Mm -hmm. you know i it was almost childlike the way he answered like he got all bashful yeah he got all bashful and like weird about it even though just moments before i mean i don't know what it was like in the interview because i'm sure they cut it but just moments before that he was all like yeah you know we had sex sometimes it's just a drunken thing fun fun and then when he's talking about being rejected by her. He got very like bashful and childlike and couldn't even make eye contact with you, really.
0: Yeah. And that was the only time that he displayed that behavior, even in the cut footage, the backstory behind that. And this happens on a lot of the cases that we did on Breaking Homicide. So he wasn't even in Kauai. He lives on another island. I'm not going to say where, but he lives with his wife and son. And it took about about a week before I flew out to Kauai and the week while I was there we're literally up to the moment. We were trying to convince him to come over and tell his story. And he was super anxious. He was like, I'm going to get arrested as soon as I land. You guys are going to lock me up for something and pin this on me. I know it. And the only way he agreed to come was if we also paid for his wife and son to fly over. So it was kind of like this awkward thing. And I talk about it with you guys in the past as far as like building a relationship with people, even if you don't truly like them. And I remember like going over and like giving him a hug because that's a lot of Hawaii tradition. Like you have to embrace this person so they're comfortable enough to speak with you on camera. So getting him to Kauai and getting him to actually sit down and interview us with us was such an undertaking We were just so shocked that he was even willing to do it. We didn't think there was a world where he was going to get on the plane. And I remember filming a scene and like our producer running down as I'm in the middle of filming a scene with like thumbs up going, he just checked in on his flight. He just checked in. He's on the plane. And I was like, I can't believe this guy's coming, but he did. And we got, you know, it wasn't the best interview, but it was good to get him in person to kind of see what people were talking about. And when. When Terry was telling me about how erratic he was, I absolutely saw it in person. I don't think you wouldn't be able to not see it.
1: So do you think uh, Terry's story of her mentioning to him that Amber's missing and they're worried and he's like hitting the steering wheel and screaming, is this less like a violent temper and more like I kind of have a childlike mind and I just can't handle these stressful situations, I can't even like, I don't know how to manage my emotions and I don't know how to express myself in like a normal manner.
0: Exactly. That's the question that we were asking around the, you no, know, as I, I told you guys, I talk with my producers all the time. It's like it, that exact question. Like, was this a sign of him being enraged or him acting like a child? Like you said, there's no other better way to say it. Um, should I tell, I know we have to take a break. Should I tell the story of the one that I told you earlier before or after it about, me taking off with him.
1: <laughs> um, let's talk we'll take about it yeah, the, let's do it after.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do a break and I got a uh, interesting story for you guys. All
1: right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Okay, so we're back from break. Um, so again, we really are trying to solve these cases. And I knew I had Greg for one day. And we talked a lot on camera, but then, you know, we also spoke off camera. We were all eating lunch together and he's sitting there with me and he's going, yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. I still know where my car is. Like they had, you know, they, they searched my car, but they gave it back to me and I know where I left it. I left no, it on No, he said the they island. didn't search his car. He said they came by. They didn't like, they went through his car. They went through his car. They told, they told me he did as well. They didn't do like a thorough, like luminol, all this stuff shirt, but they absolutely Rummaged through his car whether it was illegal illegal i don't even know at this point but i know the day of her they were looking through his car because he was uh, he wasn't happy about it and that's how this conversation kind of came up and you know he's not big on authorities at all they're on the island in general the natives are not big on authority and all that stuff they do not like police um
1: sounds like so i need to there. move there you know what i mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we're sitting there having lunch and he kind of throws out this thing like oh i know where my car is still and i'm like i want that car so I didn't think about it, but I grabbed my rental and I jumped in the car with him and we start driving around Kauai and he's trying to show me the spot. And we, we did find it. And I, I actually believe him because where he said it was, it did look like there was an overgrowth and like there had been a big object there for a very long time. And they must have just towed his car or, or threw it away because it had been abandoned for so many years. But I didn't tell anybody I was going. So I had, I didn't have my phone, nothing producers are calling me. They're thinking like Greg might've just killed me and they're like looking for me. They were so mad at me when I got back. But the reason I bring the story up is we really did use as much resources as we could. And I tried to squeeze as much information out of Greg during the time I had him. And I only had him for like six hours cause he had a flight in the morning and he did not want to stay on the Island. He was like, I want to be back on a flight home right after the interview. And he said that it was, you know, reasons where he had people on the island that didn't like him. And he also was very wary of the police. But fascinating. It was that was a crazy case.
1: Yeah. But you realize, like, he could have killed you, you dumbass. You could just be driving off with strangers randomly on an island without your phone. What's wrong with you?
0: In hindsight, it wasn't the best idea. But to be fair, I had like a few hours with him at that point he would have been an absolute fool to kill me because literally I was just with him. And wh- who's he going to blame it on? Is he going to throw me up near the, in the woods and try to say it wasn't him? So it would have been really stupid. His wife and son, little cute boy, by the way, were there.
1: Yeah. Cause your interview with him was sending you all the signals that he is a super stable person. Not stable. <laughs> I,
0: also not to be a tough guy, but I don't. You can't really tell from the interview, but Greg Glazer's like four feet tall.
1: No, he's not four feet tall.
0: Dude, he's super small. He was a little guy. I have a picture with him. He's very tiny.
1: You like to take pictures with everyone, man. The wood carvers, the suspects. It was a
0: picture. It was a picture he wanted that he had our producer take. Oh. And um, and again, he was a he was a little guy. Not saying like you know he couldn't have done something to me it wasn't the smartest decision Mm -mm. and again the only reason i bring it up wasn't to make light of a bad a a very serious topic but it was not only did what you see in the show happen there was so much more where we're like we have him here let's try to hold his feet to the fire i was grilling him i was grilling him off camera i even at one point i swear on my kids i look at him after we couldn't find the car and we're sitting there and i was like really trying to like Make him because he was kind of a religious person and we're sitting in the car and we're just parked. And I'm like, listen, man, you know, I really like you and I think you're a good guy and your wife and kid are amazing. But you fucking killed her. We know you did. You might have to bleep that out, obviously. But I said, oh, you could tell me they, they can't pin it on you You fucking killed her. And he looks at me and goes, bro. And he starts crying and shaking it's like, bro, I didn't do it. This is like ruined my life. I didn't do it. I'm not saying whether I believe him or not, but I was like, we had such a good drive and we were talking about all these things. I just looked at him. I'm like, there's no cameras. I'm not, you know, you fucking killed her, dude. You got upset. It was you. And he he never broke. Never broke.
1: You didn't even have your phone. So, I mean, technically, yo, well,
0: you're, brave. To... you're brave.
1: You're brave. You drive off with a suspect alone in the car. No cell phone. No one knows where you are. And you're like, just confess. <laughs> I, I,
0: I, it wasn't the smartest thing. No. And again, I, I, but when he said, oh, I know where the car is. I was like, he's just saying that. He's calling my bluff. And I was like, all right, let's go get it right now. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And he he didn't bat an eye. He didn't even bat an eye when I said that. He was like, all right, cool. Let's go. Can I bring my sandwich? And I was like, yeah, of course. <sighs> and so there was never a point where like I called him out on something as erratic as he was and he didn't like follow through with it. Huh,
1: well- I, I think it's interesting because you also asked Greg, and we talked about this a little bit at the start of the episode, you asked him if he'd seen or heard anything strange at Amber's house that night that he had dinner with her or the next morning. And Greg, he insisted. He said, I did not because if I had, I would have run right up there even if it meant putting himself in danger and he would have beaten her attacker to a pulp. Now, he used different language, obviously. Um, I, yeah. I highly suggest... You said he would
0: have been a rock star, bro.
1: Yeah, he did. He did. Um, I highly suggest that if you haven't seen this episode... Uh, you should watch it. It's on Discovery Plus. Uh, it's the last season of of Breaking Homicide, correct? Mm-hmm.
0: Most recent season. Yep. yep. It's like the literally the last episode of the of the most recent season.
1: Yeah. And and Greg, he's like, yeah, man, I just would have gone in there. Like, I don't care. I would have taken them all out. And and so he says he didn't see anything, which is kind of confusing because he did say he saw her walk almost all the way to the the main house, and that's why I asked you, could you see? the yurt from the main house or the main house from the yurt. And you said at the point you were there, you really couldn't see the entire journey.
0: No, but there was definitely overgrowth. And again, he had pictures from the yurt at that time and then from her house looking at the yurt because they had kind of built it up mm-hmm. and you could definitely see it. it was prominent on that higher land. So I do think at the time it was, you could probably see see it very clearly because it was, again, it was a big structure. It sounds like a little hut but it wasn't.
1: So let me ask you another question. Now, one of uh one of Amber's friends said she was thinking about going back to the Bay Area, to get away from a boyfriend that lived on her property. We're going to assume that that she means Greg, right? Because this is the only man who's living on her property and she's sleeping with him occasionally. Now, yeah. he says it's not that serious. This isn't a relationship. It's just drunken fun sometimes. But obviously, at this point, it's, it's his word and Amber's not there to say whether it was something more. Did you get the impression that it was something more, that it was more of a long-term relationship, that there may have been some emotional uh, feelings there? from him to her. And he was sort of downplaying what their relationship was in order to look maybe less suspicious.
0: I think that's fair. There was a photo that I saw specifically, which was like them on a beach at like a room. It looked like a romantic dinner. They're sitting there. He's dressed up. She's kind of dressed up. They're kind of looking at each other. It's a really nice photo. It doesn't seem like two uh, friends with benefits mm-hmm. it seemed like a little bit more to the extent I don't know. But I would definitely think it's fair to say at some point they were definitely they were boyfriend and girlfriend.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. But obviously, if he says, yeah, she was my girlfriend. Now, this is puts him higher on the suspect list, because as we know, statistics show that the the romantic partner is, you know, more likely to be the, the culprit of a murder.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think whether he's guilty or not, that may be something that you downplay because for the reasons you just said. Right. Like. Even if you didn't do it, mm-hmm. it's going to make you look more guilty by admitting that. So that could be his rationale for playing it down. Absolutely.
1: And it was also revealed that the police had looked into Greg. They had brought three police dogs into his home or his yurt, as well as a CSI team. But they didn't they didn't find anything. But you're telling me that it, it did look like there had been bleach used that he had cleaned recently.
0: Yes, it did look like there was uh, some type of cleaning agent used to uh, for just for the floor, which is important. Because it it did look like the whole floor had been done, which doesn't suggest one thing or the other. I was really hoping that there would be signs of cast off mm-hmm. where whatever object he was using after the first blow, there will be blood, bodily fluids on the object that when you cast it back, those will fly off and hit the wall or some other area. I was hoping maybe he there was if there's bleach on your walls, you got some there's some problems there. But as you know, a lot of people do bleach their floors, you know, so. I, don't, I think it's a little bit of a coincidence, but it's not completely out of the realm of perfectly normal behavior because some people, yeah, they do choose to bleach their floors.
1: Yeah. You know, Greg didn't strike me as the I'm going to bleach my floors type of guy personally. But... It's,
0: it's so odd. It's so odd. I wish I had these photos still. His, his, his yurt was pristine. Impeccable. Like, Impeccable it, yurt. It was, it was literally like you could. It looked like you could eat off the floor. Right. Really? So as as much as I believe you, and I agree with you from the interview, mm-hmm. I was shocked to see what the inside of this yurt looked like. At you know when it was in its prime.
1: All right. It was ahead. like
0: his. It was his. He was very proud of his yurt.
1: Aww. I kind of want to like live in a yurt now just to see what it's like because I'm going to try to
0: find the photos. It was really, yeah, it was wanna really cool. Yeah, I want to see the photos
1: because the, the way I've always seen a yurt is it's kind of like upscale camping. Like I know it's large and it's round, but it's usually just like a structure. And then there's sort of like the yurts I've seen, there's not even like solid walls. It's like almost a, a heavy fabric sort of like a tent, but in like a dome shape.
0: He might it might have been fabric on the walls, but yeah. interior wise, he had like a made a homemade bar, like a bar top and stuff. Like he he decked it out.
1: That's so cool. But um, okay. So they checked his yurt and he told you in the episode that they had not checked the vehicle he drove, which was a white and wood paneled Jeep Wagoneer. But you're saying they did. They sort of like looked inside to see if there's anything suspicious, but they didn't do any forensics.
0: It was like a cursory search. It was very, but yes, they never seized the vehicle or got a search warrant to search it. No, that is true.
1: Now, Greg also told the police he would take a polygraph, but then he asked for a lawyer. And so, in the end, he never ended up taking the polygraph. And according to Greg, he believes the police were trying to railroad him, maybe like use the polygraph to scare him into confessing to something, kind of like you did in the car with him, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, But when he asked for a lawyer, apparently they like backed off and they didn't bring up the polygraph again.
0: Yeah, they, you know, they definitely believe Greg was their guy. There's no doubt about it. They, uh, you know, I don't want to say had tunnel vision, but they, you know, based on how he, how he was acting, the the you know the the specifics of the case, the you proximity. know, him being the last person with yeah. her, yeah, you know, it was like either a you did it or b you know who did it because it appears based on how she was found, she left her house, you know, this wasn't like she was out and about and got you know taken by someone. It looks like she was. She was in, like, sweatpants, too, by Mm -hmm. the way. It wasn't like she was dressed up or whatever. So suggest that she was at home when whatever happened happened. And in for the night,
1: right? Like, settled in for the night. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She wasn't done up and out for the night, and she was found in, like, a dress. Or So, you know, most people would come to the conclusion that Greg was either involved or he knows who was involved. Because it would have been hard, you would think, if there was a struggle going on, if there was an altercation for him by the way, there's nobody else around. This isn't like a city. You right. would hear screaming and yelling. And for him to not have heard anything. And he admits he never left that evening. So if he, he claims didn't leave, he never
1: left that evening. He claims. Yeah. Thank
0: you. He claims he never left. So I could see why they were definitely, you know, had their target set on him. Uh, but he claims he was just being, you know, targeted for no reason and that it was not justified.
1: Now, is it possible because he couldn't see her walk all the way home that she may have been snatched? On her way back from the yurt to her house, like she didn't even get back inside.
0: Yeah, I think that's possible. And I even have made, you know, a case for a theory where she had had sex with him in the past, right? Yeah. Willingly. It was a relationship. Yes. You know, could she have not had sex with him this evening because she just was trying not to, you know, give him that anymore? She was not trying to pursue that with him anymore. She wanted something more. He wasn't going to give it to her, maybe. And therefore, she's like, well, guess what? I'm not having sex with you anymore or or whatever reason. But I threw out this other scenario where it's like, what if she was having an early dinner with Greg and she had plans later that evening with someone else? And you know, maybe she chose not to have sex with Greg because she was going to meet up with another man. I have no evidence of that. I had nothing come up during the investigation that would suggest that happened, but we are going to get into another prominent theory where Something like this would have to be the case for that to have happened. That's the only reason I bring it up.
1: Or she just didn't want to have sex then. I mean, she was like in her 50s, right? Like almost in her like 47, right?
0: What? Do you have 50? You don't want to have sex anymore? I don't Jesus. know. Like I
1: just feel like when you when you get older, it's like I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather go home and, you know, watch Grey's Anatomy or something. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, it's all possible. But, you know, when you're trying to think, OK, let's let's imagine a world where he didn't do it. Mm hmm was somebody else would have had to have come to that property. Yes. And and why would that be? There's nothing in her phone records that suggests she was like communicating with someone where they were going to pick her up. No. So how would Greg have not seen this? Well, to what you just asked, what if she walked right out and went into a car? Yeah. And he didn't see that. You know, she got picked up by someone and that's why she left when she did. Yeah. We don't know. We honestly don't know.
1: Well... (laughs) You also asked Greg about his weapon, the one he allegedly called his protector. But uh, Greg, he claimed ignorance about this weapon. He was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't have any weapon. I definitely don't have a protector. He said, I don't have a protector. (laughs) That's exactly what he said. And, uh, you know, obviously, we've already talked about this during this interview. Greg Glazer seemed very agitated. He was upset was it was his behavior something that made you feel he could be a solid person of interest did you believe him when he said he didn't have a weapon he called his protector did you feel he was being completely honest and upfront with you because i feel like you don't you don't get a reputation for having a weapon that you call your protector from nowhere like it's not just something people make up right
0: nope didn't believe him one bit even the way he responded like a lot of the times you'll like answer a question with a question when you're trying to buy an extra second like I didn't I didn't buy it at all. I think he had one. I don't know if it had anything to do with the crime. But I again, to what we were saying earlier, to admit you had something like that, yeah. whether you're guilty or not, is not going to be a good look for you. But
1: lying about it isn't going to be a good look for you either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. But at this point, whatever happened to it, nobody's been able to find it. And he's probably pretty confident no one will. I mean, depending on where it is, he might have burned the thing up.
1: So after you talked to him, you kind of did feel like there was something there because you ended up going through his garbage, right? And you removed some cotton rounds from the garbage, like the kind you used to remove makeup from your face. And did and you said this to the police when you handed it to them. You were like, here. like, Because Derek goes through greg's garbage right and they show it in the show and he's like pulling this stuff out of the garbage and then he hands it to the Kauai police and he's like here this is like he used this to take his makeup off
0: it was it was makeup removers right yeah so we're sitting at dinner and i'm thinking to myself how we you know we should have asked them for his dna and then i said to our makeup artist you know uh, marisa i said hey you always keep everyone's a little plastic bag for each person. Like you keep them separate. Did you do one for, for Greg? And she's like, yeah, but I threw it in the trash can right where we were doing the interview. So I go over to that trash can. It's already empty. So then I call the hotel and I'm like, Hey, the dumpster that's all, you know, on the outside of the property, you know, when does that get picked up? And they said tomorrow. And we already emptied the trash for the night. I spent three and a half hours. Finding that thing. And I was so pissed. They only included like 10 seconds of it.
1: 10 seconds. If that, man, it looked I like you just bent over and you were like, here you go.
0: <laughs> I was over, over there three hours and hotel staff came out and actually said to me, like, what are you doing? Like, there's trash all over the place because I had it all in like organized piles. And I was like, "Organized I my- piles of trash. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of stuff I had already checked and stuff that I still had to go through. <sighs> and literally, because the producers weren't helping me, that's for damn sure. And I was like, I lost my wife's wedding ring, OK? <laughs> and they like, oh, OK, continue to do what you're doing, sir. And I found it eventually because I found his bag, which was obviously what would be used to authenticate. That was his stuff. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, it was the makeup remover wipes and like those oil padding wipes. So, yeah. So it
1: was the but- makeup that they removed off of his face. After you were done filming because they put makeup on his face for the cameras.
0: Right. Makeup. There was makeup swabs, like the little, you know, like those little triangles you use. Mm -hmm. And then it was also the blue like oil dabbing wipes that we'd use to keep get the sheen off of someone.
1: And this would have his DNA on it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's all a sweat and oils.
1: So then you give it to the Kauai police and you're like, here, now you have something to compare yes. if you have dna from you know from amber's body or from the crime scene now you have something to compare this to.
0: Yeah, and I I don't want to get ahead again but they I can't say it but I will tell you there were things found with amber that could potentially belong to the killer.
1: Yes, so Derek and I did discuss this earlier because I was researching the case and I saw that in 2020 they had sent dna off to be federally tested. For this case, 10 years after the case happened. And so I said, wait, if, if they're sending something to be DNA tested, then obviously they collected DNA at the scene of some kind, whether it was touch DNA or saliva or something or hair or something, they have something. And so I had called you and I was like, well, do they have something? Do you know? And you said, well, I can't really go into specifics. and uh, but, but we know at least that they believe they have something that could possibly have the attacker's DNA on it. And now yeah, they, they
0: have, have something. They have something from the scene, and now with what I provided, they have something from a potential suspect. To compare. Yeah. And again, it was all legal, abandoned property. I wasn't an agent of the state. It was abandoned property at that point, and I turned it over voluntarily.
1: Yo, Greg Glazer's like watched that episode after, and he's like, I thought you were my friend, Derek.
0: (laughs) I, You know, I don't even know. Like I said, I don't know where, I don't think Greg probably even watched the show, to be honest with you. He doesn't seem like a guy who's- He's a different type of person. He watched the that. show,
1: man. You think so? Yep. I didn't get a text. Guys, weigh in on the comments. Did Greg Glazer watch? What do you mean you didn't get a text? You got Greg's number?
0: I had Greg's number, yeah. Do you not so I have it now? A...
1: Can we call him? Put him on speaker?
0: I have two phones. One was my phone for investigations. One's my personal phone. Mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, maybe one day I'll give you my personal number. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you're probably just doing that thing that you do with suspects where you try to build a relationship with them, even though you don't really like them. You're probably doing that with me this whole time.
0: <laughs> it's uh, I mean, I'm putting in work. We're about a year later.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm putting in work.
1: Let's take a quick break and then we'll then we'll get in because there's another suspect, right? Greg Glazer is not the only oh, yeah. potential person of interest. And honestly, in my humble opinion, and I want to see if you feel the same way, I kind of think that this next guy is a little bit better for, for this crime than oral Greg, there. You might be right. All right, so we're back. Uh, we we covered Greg Glazer, but I want to talk about the other man who kind of popped up and you were made aware of when you were on the island.
0: Yeah, that's right. I I you know things are evolving while you're out there, and you're you're really doing an active investigation. Like, and it's magnified by a thousand, and it's. You're just you're going 12, 14 hours a day because you only have a short period of time there. So you're constantly juggling phone calls. And I had received a, call, a phone call from Terry Seplow who wanted to fill me in on some new information, not new information, but other information, because I got Greg a lot earlier in the week than I thought I would. So I wanted to explore all options.
1: So Michelle Stewart was a waitress at the time that you were there. She no longer lived in Kauai, but uh, she had information about an individual that that Terry had never heard of. So Michelle told Terry that she had lived across the street from a man named Rick Coyne and his wife, Karen. Apparently, Rick Coyne had also disappeared on June 23rd, 2010, and Michelle remembered his wife, Karen, calling her and asking if she had seen Rick or heard from him. Now, Rick resurfaced the next morning, and he claimed that he had been hiding out on the beach because he'd accidentally hit a parked boat with his truck. Michelle said she thought it seemed that he had been drinking pretty heavily throughout the night. So Michelle didn't hear from Rick again until he knocked on her door in the middle of the night and woke her up. She claims that he said he needed a favor, and this was no small favor. He needed her help to basically burn his truck because he had hit that boat with it and he wanted to get rid of the evidence. But she said no, and then he left her house. Michelle said the next morning she woke up and she went into her living room. And at that point, she noticed that some fireworks she had, they were missing. Now, this happened in the middle of the night, like I said, but this happened in the middle of the night on July 3rd. This is the same day Amber's body had been found in the ravine. So from that timeline, we can conclude that Rick Coyne was knocking on Michelle's door, asking her to help him burn evidence of a crime hours after the news of the discovery of Amber's body had been revealed. Because Kawhi, you know, even if they're not putting it out in the news Word's getting around and people. Oh, they put out a press release. They did. But I mean, even just hours after she's found, word of mouth is already getting around that, oh, that yeah. she's been found.
0: Yeah. And if you're if you're concerned about that area, well, then you're already aware of it. Right. Exactly. I mean, you're constantly being, you know, this was only nine days after yes. her disappearance. Mm-hmm. So everyone was still on a on a heightened alert. There were there were signs of Amber posted everywhere. So whoever her killer was, they were very cognizant of the idea that everyone on the island was looking for Amber Jackson.
1: And shortly after discovering that her fireworks were gone, the Kauai Police Department contacted Michelle and they asked about a report they had from her neighbor, Rick Coyne, a report claiming that his truck, a Chevy Avalanche, had been stolen. So Michelle told the police, like, nah, I don't think this is true because, you know, Rick was over here recently asking me if I could help him burn his truck. So the police leave. And Michelle goes across the street to pay Rick a visit. And she's like, dude, where's your truck? And he was like, oh, it's not far. I left it just a block down the road. So Michelle claims that she and Rick's wife, Karen, located the truck, which had, you know, significant burn and smoke damage, especially in the backseat. So from like outside the truck, it doesn't look like this truck got burned. You know, it's not like a shell of a truck, but inside, especially in that backseat area, it's, it's very burnt. Also in the backseat, the two women spotted some fireworks that had belonged to Michelle, as well as a pair of women's sandals that Michelle claimed Karen told her at that point, those aren't my sandals, like those sandals don't belong to me. Additionally, Michelle claims that Rick told her he had met Amber Jackson once on the beach one morning while Amber was out for a walk. And shortly after her body was discovered, Rick Coyne got on a plane and he left the island without even telling his wife. So, law enforcement did confirm that Rick Coyne's Chevy Avalanche had been reported stolen in 2010, but they also got a report of arson from Rick's wife, Karen, who said the truck had been burnt. So, it seems like the police got some conflicting information here. Like, Rick said his truck was stolen, but then his wife, Karen, was, you know, submitting a report with them saying that the truck had been burnt and set on fire.
0: Yeah. So it, that kind of does work out actually, because he reported the truck stolen. But when Michelle, again, this is all according to Michelle, so it's alleged. But when Michelle goes over to confront Rick, Rick says, "Oh, the car's right down the road." So he doesn't go with them, but Michelle and Karen go down the road and see that the truck is that the truck has been burned, and that's when Karen calls police to report that there was an arson of her vehicle. Um. I think you're going to get there, but I interviewed them later, not to get too much into it. But, you know, he still sticks by the idea that his vehicle was stolen from a, mar- a like a local market in a, the a area.
1: A bar, a bar, he said.
0: Okay, OK, a bar. Which makes a
1: lot of sense because Rick Rick did like to drink.
0: <laughs> it does make sense. But the funny thing about all that is, is he sticks to the story that the car was stolen. And yet he told Michelle where the truck was before the police exactly. had located it. Yeah. So he's either really in tune with his truck or he knows the people who stole it
1: (laughs) or it wasn't stolen or it wasn't stolen at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's definitely, in my opinion, definitely lying about the theft of his vehicle. There's there's not even the police acknowledge that nothing added up with that.
1: Yeah. So that's what that's what I'm about to say, because they they did an investigation into what had happened to the avalanche and police found that like these different stories were conflicting and like the whole thing didn't make much sense but no charges were ever brought against rick coin they did take pictures of the truck and the damage which you looked at we can see it in the show and it's clear that the origin the origin of the fire the place it was started was the back seat and that's the same place the fireworks and the sandals had been located i don't understand trying to like Burn your truck with fireworks, I guess. I mean, like,
0: I think he was trying to figure out a way where it would make sense why the truck was on fire. Like, oh my God, my cigarette must have, you know, ignited one of the fireworks. It was an accident type thing, you know? But it doesn't make sense. It's
1: not the best way to do it, Rick. No,
0: no, 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 no. no. I agree.
1: The police also said that they believed the fireworks did belong to Michelle Stewart, Rick's neighbor across the street, and they found her to be a credible source of information. So during the show, you were able to speak to Rick and his wife, Karen, on the phone. They no longer live in Hawaii. They're still together and married. And they both told you that they did not know Amber Jackson at all. They'd never had any interactions with her. And Rick Coyne denied setting his own truck on fire. He said, "No, it was stolen from the parking lot of a bar, and the police had told him that they suspected that some kids had taken it to go on a joyride because fireworks were found in the truck." I don't personally think that the police ever told him this, by the way.
0: I spoke to the to assistant chief, and he told me to my face, "Bryce and Ponzi, they don't, be, they didn't believe that
1: exactly." So, did they ever tell <laughs> him that, though?
0: No, no, no. He's no. lying. He- the thing about him not being charged, it's, uh, we always say this, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. So they can't prove he burned the truck. And also, there was no property damage to any other owner's property but his own.
1: That's So that's what I was also going to ask you. He claims that the reason, or Michelle claims, the reason he wanted to burn his truck was because he had hit a parked boat, right?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Were there any reports of some hit and run on a boat in Kuwait?
0: Mm. No. And his thing was like the boat belonged to locals mm-hmm. and out there, if you're not a local and you damn it, they'll, they'll kill you. That's what. So he was very nervous about the idea that they could find out that he struck their boat and took off.
1: His um, his story would have made so much more sense if he had said it wasn't a local's boat because then the boat's yeah. gone and you don't you don't you can't check. Because if it's a local who had their boat hit by a truck, they're going to file a report.
0: Maybe. I don't know. It's it's a different world out there. Yeah, but you it's gotta like you have insurance.
1: West. Like boats are expensive, man. Like the, those they're expensive to fix, and sometimes you so, can't.
0: Yeah, I don't know what type of boat it was. I agree with you. Like if it was like a yacht, yeah. But it, what if it was like a beat up boat where he was just the person's like, eh, it still it still floats.
1: Nah, man, he didn't hit no boat. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you.
1: And listen to this. So I'm looking up Rick Coyne. And I'm trying to figure out like a little bit more about him. And I found him on LinkedIn. And apparently he had some sort of like bracelet business that he was doing when he was in Kauai. Like he would set up yep. this little uh, shop sort of like a an outdoor sort of like thrift. You know, what do they call them? Like a, f- a festival kind of shop. was like a little cart. Yeah, like a kiosk. Thing. A kiosk. A kiosk, yeah. yeah. So and he would sell bracelets and stuff. But it seems like Rick Coyne also did have a little bit of a problem with uh, alcohol because I found this... Um, I found this article about this uh, website. Well, there was like a, what are they called, drug court or something. So in this article, it says, quote, Richard Francis Coyne said he came to Kauai to retire, but found himself in circumstances that led to burglary, property damage, harassment and DUI charges in a 2010 case. He said the arrest alerted him to his alcoholism and that drug court may have added years to his life. End quote. So what does this little passage tell you? First of all, it tells me that Rick was probably a big time alcoholic. Michelle said that she believed the night he went missing, the night that Amber went missing, right? he 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 was drinking now, if if you did hit a boat in your truck, probably because you were drinking, what that also tells me is if he did have anything to do with what happened to Amber when you're when you're drunk, when you're under the influence of of alcohol in that way to the point where you may be blacking out, Anything could happen, right? And and your emotions are all over the place. So if you're maybe getting into an argument with somebody, you're going to be more likely to sort of fly off the handle if you've you know had a, a bottle of, of vodka in you.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I mean, that, these are some of the things you'd have to look into when you're looking at Rick, which we did, and I agree with your assessment again as far as the what happened to Amber does not seem very calculated. It was not. Well thought out and it was erratic and emotional, which would align with someone who was mad about something or, as you just said, intoxicated.
1: Yes. And then I look at this and he says he found himself in circumstances that led to burglary, property, damage, harassment and DUI charges. And in 2010, Amber was missing and was killed in 2010. So what was this case specifically that he was talking about? I couldn't find anything more about that, but I will keep digging.
0: Yeah, we we had looked into it. There were things that we found about Rick that are in line with what you're saying. And it did contribute to us deciding to explore him more because as we kept turning over rocks, we kept finding more stuff about him that was indicative of someone who was going through a very bad time at at that point in their life and was making some really bad choices. There were things that didn't make the show about Rick because we weren't able to substantiate them through the people who supposedly Experienced them with Rick, but other women um, that we had heard about through Michelle um, that again were in line with the idea that could Rick, even if he had only met Amber one time, have encountered had encountered her that night if he did, and maybe because of his, you know I don't know if it's a word belligerence is that you know if that's how you say it um, came off very off putting to Amber and he might not have liked the way she responded to him. There's a lot of motives you can think about when you're trying to play out. What could have happened to maybe lead us where we are today, where we don't know who killed her because this was like a one off where they met each other.
1: So can you give me an indication of some of the things that you found when looking into him or are those things that you have to kind of keep close to the chest?
0: There were reports that he was hanging out on the beach drunk on another occasion and he confronted a woman and was kind of um, aggressive with her, not physical, but just kind of a, a, a really stupid drunk making comments, flirting with her, um, you know, overstepping a boundary of how you should approach another woman. But you wonder, like, you know, could he have done this with with Amber? You know, because it it appeared that it might have been something he had a tendency to do when intoxicated, especially when you talk about the night where he disappeared. It was also reported that he was drunk that night and he fell asleep on the beach afterwards and he didn't wake up till the next day. So the the night that Amber went missing. So there's a lot there that makes you think like, did Amber take a walk down to the beach?
1: Well, here's what I'm going to ask you. Check this out. First of all, I want to ask you, how far was Amber's house from the beach?
0: Well, there's a lot of spots where you can go to the water, but everything on that island, especially when you live close, I would say, don't hold me to this. Twenty minutes, not even fifteen minutes because it's it's quiet. There's, there's not much butt water. But I'm trying to remember she was a little bit inland, but not far. maybe less than that. Maybe ten minutes.
1: all right. So check this out. Let's say Amber leaves uh, the yurt. She goes home and she, you know, gets in her sweatpants and ready for to for bed for the night. And she goes to sleep. and then she wakes up in the morning and she goes for a walk on the beach because we know this is where Rick Coyne, according to Michelle, initially met Amber. When she was on a walk on the beach in the morning. So if Amber takes a walk regularly on the beach in the morning, she's going to get up. She's not going to get dressed. She's going to keep her sweatpants on. And maybe then he wakes up from his, you know, drunken, passed out night on the beach. She's walking by and he's like, Amber, I've seen you before. And he's messing with her and talking to her and stuff. And it's still early. And she's like, shut up, man. Like, leave me alone. I'm Just trying to take a walk on the beach. And he loses it. And this may be why we don't really know where the crime scene is because if you're on a beach i yeah. mean it's sand the the tides coming in and out this may have been a place that that cleaned itself a self-cleaning crime scene
0: the only thing about that anything's possible but she didn't show up for work in the morning yeah so could she have walked down to the beach before work possibly sounded,
1: i still tend to th- sound like I she still took t- um she took a, a early walk like she would yeah, go out early could've. before work yeah
0: Absolutely possible. And just to qualify it again, I know you guys hate when I do this, but the reason we didn't include in the show and the reason I'm qualifying it right now is this information was allegedly uh, something that occurred and it was from Michelle. We only included included stuff that Michelle personally experienced because that's the way you should do it. Um, and at the end of the day, Rick is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law and there was already factual evidence that we could put in the show where you could come to your own conclusions. We didn't want to try to manipulate how viewers were viewing the show based on adding stuff that may not be true. And as I'm sitting here saying this now for the purposes of crime weekly, that may not be true as well, where he might not have encountered a woman. It could have been just Michelle embellishing another story. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did try to, I did, I did find out the name of the woman that this allegedly happened to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found a phone number for her. I did call her. She refused to speak to me. Huh. Take that as you will.
1: Yeah. I don't know how to take that.
0: Right? I you can Take it any way you want, but take it as you will. But it wasn't like we didn't do our due diligence to try to confirm try it. Try to verify, yeah. Yeah, but it, you know, because we were going to include it. Wanted to interview her. You know, was he aggressive? Was he, you know, violent in any way? She just had moved on with her life and didn't want to be part of the be part of the whole story
1: and it could have been because it didn't happen or it could have been because she's afraid of him
0: you're right that's what i'm saying i mean it's, it depends on how you want to look at it i would think if it didn't happen you would just say it didn't exactly, happen exactly
1: man but i mean that's <laughs> I was that's, just thinking that i'm like if it didn't happen you just be like i'm sorry i don't know what you're talking about and hang up yeah yeah so yeah so we do know how to take that, but that's just and allegedly, did, maybe, in our opinion.
0: Yeah, I did speak to her. She just didn't want to talk to me, but I did speak to her, and she, I explained why I was calling, and she just said, "Yeah, I don't want to to talk to you."
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, we know how to take that. Okay, but uh, you did mention to to Rick that Michelle Stewart claimed the fireworks that were found in his truck were hers. And that Rick had pretty much stolen them from her house the same night that he asked her to help him burn evidence of a crime. And Rick's response to you was to say that Michelle's a liar and a bad person. And both he and Karen then once again asserted to you that they didn't know Amber. They had nothing to do with what happened to her. But then you asked Karen. Yes, Karen about the sandals found in the backseat of Rick's vehicle and she she claimed, listen, you know, we we live on a beach basically. So we keep extra shoes in the vehicle. We keep shoes for the beach or shoes for walking. But then you were like, listen, okay." but Michelle says that when you guys saw this truck, you told her the sandals weren't yours. And Karen, she sort of laughs this off and she's like, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, but whatever. And that was it and that really bugged me because she was very flippant about it and i mean it's like either they're your sandals or they're not either you said that to michelle or you didn't so i don't know about that whatever is not really like in my opinion a valid response
0: yeah so i don't want to say i was setting her up but i was leading her down a path where i wanted her to first one admit there were sandals in the car yes once i got her to admit that then i had her mm-hmm. because i knew what i was going to say next but once i got her to admit yeah I, you know And and I guess you could look at it where she didn't really admit they were in the car, but she didn't deny. She could have denied it right there and said, "Nah, I I don't remember any shoes in the car or sandals in the car. I don't have any clue what you're talking about. But she was like, yeah, I know. Like you said, there was there's sandals in the car or whatever. And then when I say, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because you specifically told Michelle they weren't yours. And she actually went, oh, huh?
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever.
0: (laughs) I I caught her off guard with that one. Yeah. didn't expect that. and,
1: And I was like. I'm watching the episode and I was laughing a little bit because I know you at this point, right? And I see your face when, when they're talking and you get that little like furrow right here in your brow and I'm laughing and I'm like, yo, they're lying. And then you hang up the phone and you're like, these people are lying to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My director, that never happened. It was not a lot of breaking of the fourth wall, but you hear the producer star off camera go, so what do you think? And I was like, they're lying hundred (laughs) percent. I didn't know that was going to make the show. He just, I was in like a hooded sweatshirt. Like we hadn't even started for the day. And he was like, I guess they decided to include it because I was pissed off.
1: Well, I mean, I felt like they were lying, too. And and Rick got super defensive. And I'm not sure why you would get so defensive and, and say Michelle's a liar and she's a bad person on top of that. Like saying, well, she's lying is one thing. But to go on and be like, she's a liar and a bad person. It felt personal and it felt like, I don't know, like it was unnecessary.
0: Well, he was trying to discredit her, right? Like to be like, hey, you can't believe anything she's saying because she's a bad person. She has bad intentions. Did he give you
1: a reason of why she was a bad person or you just say she's a bad person? Because that's all it sounded like to me. She's yeah, a bad no, person.
0: It definitely seemed like there was some history there between them. I'm not saying sexual or whatever, but there was definitely some history there because, you know, clearly he doesn't like her because she dimed him out about the car. Right. Like so you could make the argument that he's just pissed off because she's still diving him out about the car or it could be something more which is the reason I called him, which which is what I told him. So, yeah, he, he wasn't a fan. He tried to um, he tried to be kind of calculated at the beginning and he did lose his cool a little bit there at the end.
1: But you talked to Michelle, the the police in Kauai, you talked to Michelle. They found her to be credible. Did you?
0: Yes. OK. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. There's no incentive. There was nothing in it for her i you know we tried to look at you know she didn't know amber Mm -hmm. personally she'd met her you know supposedly met her a couple times but like it wasn't like this deep connection um and again she talked about this vehicle this chevy avalanche and everything was corroborated directly when i asked about it from the police
1: and might i just add okay she's a bad person she's a liar but rick apparently at one point you trusted her enough to go to her house in the middle of the night and ask her to help you burn your truck to cover up a crime. So at That's some right. point, I feel like he didn't think she was a bad person and he didn't think she was a liar. And they might have been actually quite close, maybe friendly, because you're asking her to do something illegal with you. you got to really trust somebody to show up at their house in the middle of the night and ask for them to help you burn your truck. Right. So that's right yeah. I mean if that happened allegedly. We don't know if that allegedly. happened. Yeah, allegedly. So you looked at the photos that were taken from inside Amber's house when, you know, she went missing and the police went in there and you did point out something that was interesting to me. You pointed out that a portion of her kitchen counter between the stove and the refrigerator it was missing. It was gone. It looked like it'd been broken off. But the rest of the counter was intact. I talked to you earlier and I said, how much of the counter do you think was broken and missing? And you said, what, like roughly eight inches, I think you said.
0: Yeah, you can actually see it in the episode as well. We're going to try to get those photos. Stephanie's going to try to pull some magic and screenshot them. Uh, so you guys can check them out because the, it, it's very easy to see in the photos. Thank you, Discovery, for letting us use those photos. If
1: I can't screenshot them, I might just get like my cell phone, get the lighting really good and try to take a picture with my cell phone and crop it and like make it yeah, better. We'll, for figure, the, it we'll out. figure it out. But um, there was also a six pack of beer. So these were glass bottles sitting next to the stove, and there was broken glass from some of these bottles around the six-pack on the counter, and then there was the broken top of a beer bottle sitting on the stove. So this is just like the neck of the beer bottle, and it looked like the bottle still had its top on, and, you know, if you drank a lot of beer— you'll know that like once you take that metal top off, it doesn't ever fit back on normally again. And this looks like that beer was never opened. That's what it looks like to me, at least. Now, you'd explored the idea um, that maybe the counter, maybe the counter had been the object that made the injuries on the the right side of Amber's face and head. Like if somebody had used that portion of the counter um, and slammed her head into it, but then, like you said, you talked to a forensic pathologist on the, on the show and she said she didn't believe that the counter could be the murder weapon because Amber's injuries were more consistent with her head being hit with something, not being hit against something. I, I would like to mention that I was wondering, and I talked to you about this earlier, is it possible that maybe the counter was the thing that was bracing the other side of Amber's head and that her head had been placed there by her attacker and the portion of the counter that was removed, maybe it was removed after her death to get rid of the evidence, or maybe it had been damaged by whatever had hit Amber. Maybe her attacker had brought the weapon down several times. Some of these blows missed her head, hit the counter instead. Um, Also, the broken beer bottles might actually support that theory as well, because it seemed like they were broken while they were sitting in that six-pack on the counter. And the six-pack is, like, right next to the stove, which is where that portion of counter was missing. Because I can't understand why else those beer bottles would be broken like that and she wouldn't pick them up. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It was definitely something that Chief Ponzi and the other detectives were couldn't get past. The, the interesting thing about it, and take it how you will, um, is that the counter was broken and yet none of the counter pieces were found anywhere in the area. And yet, you would think that if the perpetrator was cleaning up the, the broken counter pieces because they didn't want it to be seen by police, they would have also cleaned up the broken beer bottles. So, again, it appears that the counter was cleaned up, but not the bottle. So, I asked Greg about this and he said he knew exactly what I was talking about. Now, you could say he knew exactly what I was talking about because he's the one who did it, right? So, I get that. But he's saying that counter was broken for months. Before that and actually amber had been complaining to him that she wanted him to do something about it because he was kind of a handyman Because she kept it was like kind of sharp And she was like nervous. She was going to cut herself on it when going into the fridge and he was like, yeah I know exactly what that is that had been broken for months He had no explanation for the bottles though. He didn't ha- he didn't even he just didn't even acknowledge that he he's like oh, I didn't even know that was the case and I
1: have a little bit of a problem with greg's story because If you think about it Amber was big on buying houses and renovating them. She did this stuff herself. Why would she be like going to <laughs> to the man on her property and being, like, hmm, I'm so afraid I'm going to cut myself on this counter. Please fix it for me when she's been doing this stuff like she renovated the house she lived in. Yeah,
0: but I think she was high in. Com- I don't think she was very ha- correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure Amber's family will be listening to this. Matt will definitely be listening to it. I don't think she was. Do- I think she was more of a flipper. And she always had G, uh, general contractors doing. It. I don't think she was. I don't think she was actually in the grind doing it. Okay,
1: so if she's got general contractors doing her renovations, why not call a general contractor? Why are you gonna let it right. be broken for months and months?
0: Yeah. When you take yeah, pride fair.
1: in the home you live in, clearly. Yeah. And and you're that's gonna fair. let it be broken for months and months because your boyfriend and his yurt won't fix it.
0: Yeah. And and what was interesting about that counter because I did think about the idea that it could have been held in place there and she could have been struck over the head. No blood. No blood. Not even signs yeah. of a cleanup. Not even signs of bleach in the area, because you would expect, even if there's absent of blood, you would have some type of cleaning agent under a under a, a fluorescent light. Nothing.
1: How did no those sign bottles of any type of get broken?
0: I know it's a it, trust me. You're asking the million dollar question because in the the chief of police said the same thing. They're like that bottles. St- those bottles still bother me to this day. Could they be a red herring? He doesn't think so. No, I don't think so. No, But, you know, it does make you wonder.
1: And like, I get it. Maybe maybe you could say, oh, she brought it in. She had all these bags of groceries in her hand. So she drops the six pack and it breaks, but not on the counter. And that those right. bottles definitely broke while they were on the counter. This wasn't they dropped on the floor and she picked it up and put it on the counter because I there's agree. broken glass all over. Plus that bottleneck on the stove, which <laughs> clearly came off. So it almost looks like somebody was swinging something. Hit the bottles at the top. That top part of the bottle goes flying off towards the stove to the right. And then it looks like these bottles were broken as part of an attack.
0: Now now you sound like me and the team for five nights straight talking about these beer bottles. The the beer (laughs) bottles
1: are driving me crazy because they're definitely connected. But at the same time, as far as we can tell, this house was not a crime scene.
0: No blood. No blood. Zero. And they they would have found
1: something, especially with the way that she was attacked. This is Mm -hmm. not going to be a clean hit. This isn't going to be like, oh, I'm going to choke you in your kitchen and leave no blood. She was brutally beaten to her head. And we all know head wounds. There's massive amounts of blood that come out of head wounds. Some little speck of blood would have still been there.
0: And they they immediately locked down that house. Mm -hmm. And again, no blood and no sign of cleanup in that house. So it was like the most baffling thing because they thought they were going to put it under a light and that place was going to light up, up like yeah. a tree with luminol hits and stuff and zero zero it's 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 a perplexing it's like how does that happen because everyone agrees that wherever amber was assaulted there's there was blood everywhere. Of course. And so it's like it's it would be impossible to do that. And not have any type of blood remaining.
1: So I I would be interested to hear what you guys have to say in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. What do you think could be the possible connection to these bottles?
0: If you could figure that out, let us know because that's the million dollar question.
1: Yeah, I am interested to hear theories because you guys always come up with some cool theories that I never thought of. So I can't I can't wait to hear what you say. But we also have those tire tracks found at the scene. As I mentioned previously, uh, the police didn't take impressions of these tracks. I wish they had. Oh, I wish they had
0: um $10 bag of dental stuff. I'm saying man
1: like that's what the the article that I read said like this police this police office office this police department <laughs> they didn't have the resources but I mean I feel like every police department should should have that as their like starter kit but okay. Um so they took the pictures you took the pictures to a digital expert to see if they could be enhanced so that the tread of whatever vehicle had made the tracks they could be determined where what vehicle it came from. And then you discovered something very interesting, which was the digital expert used a cigarette butt that was lying on the ground next to the tire tracks. And this cigarette butt would be used to determine scale. So basically, if you know how big the cigarette butt is, which we all do, you can use that now to figure out the size of the tracks. Uh, Yeah, we
0: use the same thing when we don't have a scale on scene, we use a dollar bill.
1: Yeah, so let me ask a question. How far from where her body was found were the tire tracks located?
0: right above, so at the top of the ledge there, right there, right there.
1: All right. So, well, because of this, because of what the digital expert did, Amber's vehicle was ruled out as being the one to have made the tracks, and so was Greg Glazer's Jeep Wagoneer. But the track pattern was consistent with the size and tread rows of a Chevy Avalanche, which just so happened to be the truck that Rick Coyne was driving at the time of Amber's murder, the one he allegedly allegedly set on fire, the one that had a pair of women's sandals in the backseat. And remember, Amber was found fully dressed, but barefoot. So,
0: yeah, it's important to note that that Chevy Avalanche, the specific tire that was on there, there are other vehicles that have all-terrain tires that could be similar. You would have needed a casting to determine it was exactly him, because with a casting, for anyone who doesn't know... You would see imperfections. Things, yeah. Yeah. Imperfections in that tire that are specific to that tire, mm-hmm. whether it's a nail or a gouge or whatever it may be that's occurred to that tire over the years. So you could take that cast and con- compare it specifically to the tire in question. And by the way, they still have that Chevy Avalanche, it's in their impound lot. So the Kauai police still have it, just in case anything does come up from this, which is obviously good to know. And also, Matt Alexander
1: has Matt Alexander Amber Jackson's is vehicle. Amber's nephew. That's for correct. For don't yep. remember, yeah,
0: yep, yep. He has her Amber Jackson's vehicle still. I saw it in person. The only vehicle we don't have, which would be really nice to have for forensic analysis, would be would be Greg's vehicle, Greg Glazer. Yeah,
1: but according to your expert, the the digital forensic expert, he was seventy five to eighty percent certain. That the tire impressions found near where Amber's body was found were made by the same make and model vehicle that Rick Coyne drove. And That's right. I have another question. So the sandals <laughs> found in Rick's vehicle, were they ever tested? Because they weren't completely burned, right? You were able to see like, that there were there sandals. There
0: were no sandals in the vehicle. What do you mean? No sandals in the vehicle when it was impounded. Oh,
1: I'm sorry. Hold on. Yep. So hold on. I didn't know this. So Karen yep. and Michelle see the sandals. Mm -hmm. Karen's like those ain't my sandals but when the vehicle gets impounded sandals
0: are not there no sandals we they went back and checked we went and looked at the photos um and you know because they did have the photos from the crime scene like before Mm -hmm. so there's two ways you could take that and let's be fair the first way you could take it is Michelle's lying and, and, you know, there wasn't any sandals. And Karen on the phone with me was just acknowledging that if there were sandals, they, you know, could have been hers. The second theory is that there were women's shoes in the vehicle and Karen removed them before police arrived.
1: Or Karen went home to Rick and was like, yo, Rick, that was going on with this truck because Karen's the one that called the police and said. It was burnt, right?
0: Right, So she goes
1: home and she's like, Rick, what the hell's going on with this truck? And whose sandals are in there, man? All right, because they're not my sandals. What kind of girl you got in your car when you're hiding out on the beach drunk all night? And Rick was like, oh, snap. (laughs) There's sandals in there? They didn't burn? Let me go get them. Because it's just a freaking block down the road. Yeah, it's possible.
0: Yeah, I... there's no evidence to to suggest he went down there, but there's also no evidence to say he didn't. I don't, yeah, I don't obviously know. Obviously, it's just
1: a theory based on Just a theory. Uh, information. But yeah, the
0: shoes, the sandals were not, because let's be honest, if the sandals were found in the car later, you and I wouldn't be having That's this what conversation I'm like, right now. That's what I'm saying, even if they were hurt. They even if
1: they were burnt, you could tell if they were the same size that she wore, you'd at least be able to piece together something, even if you couldn't pull, like, DNA, but you'd be able to see, did she have a pair of sandals like this? etc okay so no sandals in the car
0: they do not they're gone if they did exist they are gone
1: but the back seat of the truck is completely burnt and let's say that a vehicle was used to transport amber from her home to where she was found she might have been in the back seat of that vehicle
0: It it would think you know and you know that would make sense that would definitely make sense. You would ask why they wouldn't have transported her in the truck, the, the bed of the truck, because um, the avalanche does have a a truck bed. But um, yeah, if you think about what we're well, talking cause about, because it's
1: tonight. a tr- it's a truck bed. Why would you put a live or dead body? in your truck and drive around town with it
0: well the thing about the avalanche well because you don't want to get dna on your seats but the thing about the avalanche so you're just gonna burn had them had with
1: fireworks so what does that matter
0: yeah i mean if that's the plan i don't know if he planned on if he was involved with this i don't know if he planned on burning it initially because he waited until her body he waited was found until her
1: body was found you know i
0: don't think if he was involved i don't think he knew her body was going to be found i thought i think he thought that it was going to be taken by the animals but when once she was found he realized he had no other choice um, taken by the Natalie animals. Checks-
1: taken by the animals. It sounds so peaceful. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's gonna be well, taken by the animals. But like Derek, Derek, let's say you're out there and you kidnap a woman and you know you take her somewhere to kill her. And she's in your back seat, right? And then you mm-hmm. find out her body's found. Everyone knows she's dead. What would you burn in the truck? What would you burn in the truck if you couldn't burn the whole truck? What part of the truck are you gonna burn?
0: Yeah, you're gonna burn where she was where for she sure. Was. You know, and I, I want to say this because it because it is very important. And I have to because this is what I'm here for to be that guy. I truly don't know if Rick Coyne was involved in Amber's disappearance or death. And I mean that. I'm not even using like of course. You know, the wink and the, the wink in the nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I truly don't know. Mm-hmm. All I know for certain is everything that we've told you tonight so far can be proven for the most part. Mm-hmm. As far as his vehicle, you know, his his whereabouts, the day of her disappearance, the day of her being found. Those things are from other credible witnesses. And when you put it all together, like you're doing the fact that Amber wasn't wearing shoes, the fact that the back of the vehicle was burned, the front of the vehicle was perfect, by the way, the car could still be driven Mm -hmm. after that. It's very suspicious considering what we're talking about. And that's, you know, the tire tread marks, all of it. It's very suspicious when you put it in the context of what we're investigating. But I know when I went there, Really, the only person of interest that they had was Greg Glazer. And so I have to ask myself if they haven't been able to to put him down for this murder, like haven't been able to find evidence that would suggest it was him. You mean Greg? Greg, mm-hmm. right? That's who they originally thought, you know, was involved. And in. why is this case unsolved? So I asked myself, maybe they haven't found the evidence to convict him or charge him because it doesn't exist because he didn't do it. So having this other person to look into just points to the fact that there's still more to be done. But I wanted to just say that one more time. I won't say it again, but there's nothing here that says to me definitively, it still couldn't be Greg. And I just want to point that out there because there is some compelling stuff because I know our audience, I know they're sitting there going, Rick did it. Rick did it. I know it because I remember the response after the episode, but keep in mind, there's nothing definitive here that puts him with Amber at any point at a, at any time.
1: Yeah, okay, I just want to say for before. the record, man. I don't think Greg did it.
0: You don't. I, You're like so so go to that real quick. Why why is that?
1: Why do you not think he did it? Well, first of all, he clearly cared about her, right? Fair. So you have some uh, emotions there. He lived on her property, so he's going to instinctually know because he seems like a super paranoid person, right? Th- correct. This so way, he's going to instinctually know if if this woman goes missing and turns up dead, I am the first person they're looking at because That's I fair. am her her sexual partner, which everybody seemed to, to know. It was kind of like the secret that wasn't really a secret. I live on her property. We're always together, and hey, I was the last person to see her alive. So I just don't see how he would have thought this would be a good idea to to murder her because he knows he's going to be the first person. Now, with with this dude, Rick Coyne, like you said, there's nothing to connect him to Amber, which is why he was never looked at as a suspect in the early stages, because as far as anybody knew, he doesn't know her. However, you did tell me earlier on the phone that when you were in Kauai, you talked to Greg about Rick Coin, and Greg had mentioned that Rick was like selling these bracelets and he had like a picture of Amber, you know, on the table. And he had mentioned to Greg like, oh, she was such a nice woman, et cetera, et cetera. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Greg did say that. But again, I always took what Greg, uh, Greg said with a grain of salt because he, if he ever felt like I was looking at someone else, which I never gave him the impression, he would he would run with that if he was involved. So it was kind
1: of. Yeah, you kinda said kinda you never difficult. gave him that impression.
0: I didn't, but I did mention Rick. You know, like, hey, what do you know about Rick Coin? And you know, I think if I would have said, hey, what do you know about Big Bird? Yeah, Big Bird was a suspect. Uh, you know, he was always a shady guy. Are you
1: doing Greg you like know? that, man?
0: I'm just saying, I mean, I don't trust anybody. You guys, you know that by now. I don't trust anyone.
1: I don't trust anyone either. But yeah. to me, Rick Coyne, an alcoholic, somebody who was not in control of of their life at that point, which admittedly he was going through a tough time, had a lot of stuff going on, would get drunk and spend nights on the beach. Be, he's hitting boats, allegedly. And then his car is burnt. And then he says it was stolen. But then his wife says it was just burned. He knows exactly where it is. Like, this stuff doesn't add up. Whereas no, I- with with Greg, I feel like he's kind of, he's like a, a man child, you know? He's he's the kind of guy who, he's like the, du- the dude from uh, A Beautiful Mind, the one who's like recording the paper bag, and he's like, it's beautiful, you know? And it's like floating through the air. He just seems like the kind of guy that, he just wants to be out in nature and living in his yurt and cleaning his floors with bleach. And I mean, i I admittedly said, like, I don't think that Greg Glazer looks like the kind of guy who's on his hands and knees scrubbing his his yurt floor with bleach. And you were like, well, it, his yurt was immaculate, man. like it was it was it
0: was good shape and but but also not to pile on here, but it, and we you definitely mentioned it already. But shortly after all this happened, Rick Coyne left the Rick island Coyne without left- care. He took, he took off. He went to the he went to the they call, you know, he went to the United States. He went to the mainland.
1: He was gone. He didn't even tell his yeah. wife where he's going. But his wife's still with him, man. I tell you what, if my husband took off, well, first of all, if my husband's not coming home and he's spending nights on the beach drunk, it's over. But now he gets on a plane and he leaves me and he doesn't tell me where he's going. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be married to this man any longer. So mm-hmm. what is it that what what is it that kept these two together? I'd be curious to know. Be
0: interesting to be a fly on that wall. Huh? Because
1: they kind of were in too deep together and they had things on each other. But I mean, that's just mm. speculation. Um, so I don't think that it that it was Greg. To me, Rick seems like a much more viable option. He's shady AF. And I, I don't like I don't I don't like the way he handled the situation. But um, I don't know you. I think you agree with me that Rick looks a little bit better for this than than Greg.
0: There's evidence there that suggests he he's got some explaining to do, but I'm not sold on Greg either. Honestly, I think there's a really, you know, Occam's razor, right? Simple explanations, usually the right one. Simple explanation is there's a fight in the yurt. He's you know, he smacks Amber over the head. He cleans up with the bleach. He brings it to the mountain, leaves her there. I mean, and again, Can't prove it. So where do the beer bottles
1: in her house come in then?
0: Well, the beer bottles could have been, instead of them being in the, you know, maybe they were down at the, maybe they were down at the house, the main house first. The fight starts there. He drags her up to the yurt and kills her up there. I don't know. I mean, but there is options where Greg could have done this Mm -hmm. and I was sitting across from a killer. There's absolutely a possibility that that's what transpired. And I do think he's erratic enough where he could have lost his temper at one point in and and had and done it.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: But I, I think that they're both people that I would want to know a lot more about. And I could sit down and talk to Greg for another couple hours and also I would love the opportunity to sit down with Rick.
1: Oh yeah. I would love to sit down with a Rick. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like Rick. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so as we mentioned, you know, they sent DNA off in 2020 to have it tested. Um, Assistant Chief of Police Bryson Ponce, he said that the department can't share information on potential forensic evidence and Amber's nephew, Matthew Alexander, he told the media that he and his family have not heard anything conclusive from the DNA testing. But Matthew also claims that he doesn't really believe the Kauai police have the necessary resources to solve his aunt's murder. Matthew said, quote, I think everybody in her immediate circle knows basically what happened, but the ability to prove it I just don't know how it could be proved. There's two people of interest in particular, and they're free. One of them flunked a polygraph test, and another guy vanished and is living out in Arizona. I don't know which one killed her, but I know both of them had something to do with it, but we can't prove it, so I don't know at this point how we can come up with the evidence to prove it. End All right, so this this is a whole new angle. If Matthew is talking about the two men that we just talked about, Greg... And Rick, he's kind of saying, we know both of them had something to do with it. So it's almost a suggestion that they may have worked together.
0: Well, here's the thing. We haven't talked about it a lot, but Greg and Rick knew each other. Oh, Yeah. They knew each other.
1: So how well? How well did they know each Not other? Not
0: very well, but I heard they like smoked weed together. Like Greg definitely knew who Rick Coyne was. Um,
1: this is a whole new element, man.
0: Yeah. So he's like, so I remember discussing it with Matt it's like well why couldn't they have both been involved why couldn't Rick had been over there that night and something went down and they were there
1: that's why Rick's hanging out at the yurt with Greg and then you know Amber comes in and -hmm. they're maybe eating together whatever and then something happens at that point and now they're both liable in some way because they're both there so they work together to get rid of the evidence it's possible
0: it's also possible that someone we've never identified is out there right now, and he's responsible for the death of Amber Jackson. It's a that's, unnerving that's also feeling. Possible, yeah, yeah, it's an unnerving feeling. But it, it it's it's the truth. It's the truth. And I wish I wish I left there and was feeling more. Defi- there are cases that I've done on breaking homicide where I was pretty certain on who did it. You know, Judy Rawlings is one of them. You know, it, I don't mind saying it if I believe that. I have met and looked Greg in the face and I didn't look in his eyes and say to myself, there's no way he killed her. Mm-hmm. I think, and I said this to the chief of police in the show, do I think he's capable of killing her? Yes. Do I m- think he's mentally capable of covering up the murder and not being caught? No. And that's what's perplexing to me because I don't think he'd have the ability to commit the perfect crime. He's not that bright. And I don't. I mean, I'm just being honest. He's not that bright. But
1: was it the perfect crime? A lot. Or maybe of, he just got lucky. A lot of stuff had to go right for for this to sort of be unsolved. First of all, yeah. I agree with uh, with Matthew when he says that the quiet police probably weren't equipped to handle a mystery of this magnitude. I mean, they they didn't even have the stuff they needed to take the cast for the tires. If they had uh, taken yeah, the cast uh, for the tires, this could have easily been oh, solved. I
0: would. I would love to exactly. have that cast right now, man. Yeah, exactly. Man.
1: Additionally, I I do feel like you know you said earlier on in the episode you don't want to say that they had sort of laser focused in on Greg Glazer, but it it does kind of seem like they did, right? Like that's fair because up and and I don't blame them for initially suspecting him because he the proximity, the location, the relationship. It would make sense that that he may have been responsible for this. But once you look in his, his yurt, you don't see anything. There's no sign of foul play in the house. You know, you can't find any physical evidence to tie him to her murder. You'd think that you'd branch out and start sort of looking elsewhere, looking for other suspects, you know, trying to figure out maybe who. And I mean, you had talked to to Amber's friend. Amber call, Amber's friend called you, Terry, and she was like, listen, there's this guy, Rick Coyne. How how did this never get to the police? How did it never get how did it never how did Rick Coyne's name never make it on the police radar? And then they're suddenly putting two and two together, like, oh damn, you know, actually the day, you know, after her body's found, Rick Coyne's vehicle's stolen, quotations, air quotes, and it's burned. And 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 good a good investigator, I think, really would put those things together eventually, once you've exhausted your Greg Glazer angle, which which led to nothing, nothing substantial at least, besides a hunch from them that he was responsible, you'd start kind of branching out and you'd talk to her friends, one of them being Terry, who would be like, Well, what about Rick Coyne? And I I don't I don't, I can't possibly believe that it took 10 years for Rick Coin's name to ever come out of somebody's mouth. Right.
0: No, they, they, there's a group and Terry's like the head of the group, but it's justice for Amber Jackson. And they they're vigilant to the point where they're emailing the Kauai Police Department almost on a weekly basis or a monthly basis with new information, new leads, uh, things that they should look into. And there is a, a good communication there. And, you know, when I when I went there, it wasn't to criticize what they hadn't done. It was like, listen, if I can find something that might push this case forward then we've accomplished our mission because if it's at a stalemate right now, that's obviously not good. So when I left there, the two things that I left there with is saying, hey, listen, I was able to get DNA for Greg Glazer, which could be helpful if they're able to get DNA off the items that were found on Amber. And secondly, if by chance it doesn't match, there's another person now that should be looked into. And I do know that I'm not going to say specifically, but there were witnesses that I spoke with, some on camera, some not, that were viable enough for the Kauai Police Department to go and interview them in person. So I felt very good about this case because, you know, they could tell you, yeah, we're going to look into that. And they never do. But I was able to confirm that the uh, prosecutor's office sent an investigator as well as the Kauai Police Department over to the residence of certain witnesses and interviewed them. There's a lot that didn't make the show. I sat down with the DA, his investigators. We It was all on camera. But in 42 minutes, it's just not a lot of time. But I I, I will say this. I was very well received over there. The, the departments were very receptive. And Matt Alexander, Terry Sepplow, everyone involved was super receptive. I'm, I still talk to Matt probably once a year. Um, So I, I truly hope this case gets solved sooner than later. I think it is a solvable case. Um, but I'm still waiting on the results. You know, I think you're going to get into it, but there is some DNA that's been sent. I have not heard anything, whether it came back positive or negative. That might be because they're not sharing it with me. That might be because it came back to nothing. I don't know. But I try not to involve myself after I've already left.
1: I don't know how you don't involve yourself after you left. I would be like blowing them up every day. We've already covered all there is to say about the DNA. We've said it. And I'm not saying that they're yeah. not nice guys. They seem super sweet, you know, in the show, similarly like super nice guys. But I just don't think that everything was done in this investigation in the early days, which, you know, those are the the days that you really got to get on it, start collecting evidence. and 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 Rick, he's allowed to just get on a plane and leave, leave the island. And at that point, once he's gone, like, it's going to be very difficult to track him down and get him to cooperate, especially several years after. So when you say you don't think that this isn't a case that can be solved, like, I I agree with you. I think that there was probably enough evidence to start putting two and two together in the early days. But now, more than a decade later, with Rick in the wind and and maybe any other possible, like you said, it could not, it could be not Rick. It could be not Greg. Could be just some random other person, but it's been over 10 years now. So that those people, and I I get this impression that people who go and live in Kauai, people who aren't, you know, natives, they don't stay there forever, right? This is kind of this like eat, pray, love kind of thing where they go there.
0: People are very transient. Like they just kind of they stay there. They stay there a couple of
1: years and then they move on.
0: That's right. It's a very, it's a, it's, it's kind of a through route. A lot of people are trying to change their lives and, do new things that's where you go you get off that you can completely lose yourself because it's a beautiful place to lose yourself Mm -hmm. for a couple years but you you nailed it that's kind of the the mindset that's out there people go there to uh
1: recreate themselves you know sort of figure out who am i what's in my soul Mm. maybe paint some oceanscapes whatever but your (laughs) your main suspect pool could have been gone within a year or two, relocated onto yeah. their next destination, onto their next journey, onto their next hunting ground. Yeah. And I just feel like really them focusing on Greg so hard was was a detriment to the investigation. But that's just my opinion. And I mean, you were there. You talked to these people. You know more about what was done, what was said, and what wasn't done than I do. And uh, and I, I don't know. That just from what I see, it looks like so much more could have been done. But it wasn't. And here we are.
0: Yeah, I know. I know Greg was a big uh, component to the case initially, and I don't know. I don't want to even speak out of line and, and, and tell you when Rick Coyne became someone who was on the radar because it's very it's very possible as I sit here. I just don't remember the answer that Rick Coin didn't become a player till m- many years later where Michelle Stewart came forward and, you know, through the through this pr- group that they have and informed them of this. I know that once they did learn of him he was immediately uh, um sent over to his information was sent over to the Quaihi police department but i don't i don't know exactly when that was i don't think he was a person of interest at the time but to everything you're saying once that car goes up in flames if you know you just had this incident take place That's what i'm saying that same day there's a car up in flames you would like to think that two and two would be put together and there might be someone go hey
1: maybe this is connected like, right. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I think that's fair. I, kinda, I think that's fair. drives me a little crazy. Fair. But I mean, that's where yeah, that's, fair. that's where we're at. And, you know, yeah, I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed covering this case with you because, you know, I didn't know a lot of things and you really illuminated a lot of things for me during. Yeah. Which which cleared things up a little bit. But
0: it's it's always weird covering the cases that I've done because it's like it's awesome. <laughs> no, it's kind of like. For me, it's like a reminder that I failed.
1: Oh God, stop!
0: It's the truth, though, if you think about it. Because what are we talking about here? Hey, Derek, you went out to cover this case
1: ten years after. It's not like you were on from day one. Because if you've been on from day one, okay, we'd have those tire those tire imprints, and you know it. I'd like to think so. Yeah, Yeah, I
0: mean, but it's like I would have gone to like the dollar store
1: and gotten some silly putty or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you didn't have what you needed. You would have figured it out. Dental stone. We got to have
0: it. We got to have it. No, I mean, yeah, it's just, but it is a reminder of like, you know, this family entrusted you to do something and yeah, you move the ball forward. But like, as we sit here right now, two years later- There's still no justice. No, this family entrusted
1: you to do the best you could with what you had and you did.
0: I tried. Yeah. Yeah, I do think we did the best we could. I mean, I'm digging through trash for three hours (laughs) in the middle of the night. Yelling at hotel
1: employees, pulling a a Greg Glazer with the hotel employees. I'm looking for my wife's wedding ring.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He like, you should have been there. He like walked up to me and I started screaming. I'm like. I'm looking for my wife's wedding ring. Okay,
1: they get away from me. Backed off like, like you're a wild animal. He's Like whoa, he's like
0: and and, and he's like okay, all right, I'm buddy, out. you
1: you do you, man. You keep picking luck, through that man. garbage, all right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it was. We definitely, you know, I mean, exhausted all options. And at the end of the day, even if we find out six months from now that someone that nobody identified, perfect. Let's find the person because mm-hmm. you know there's a there's a chance that this person had done it before or we will do it again. Yeah, you know, so it'd be great to get them you know, in custody as soon as possible.
1: And I feel like, I feel like I remember reading somewhere. Kauai had like a a pretty prolific serial killer a while back, right? That was another scenario. Mm -hmm. That
0: was another thing that people like, could she have been the victim? There's so many, that's why I'm like, I'm glad we're covering it. But it's like, don't do what we're accusing other people of doing, which is get tunnel vision. Because even though nine out of 10 pieces of the puzzle can fit, if that 10th piece don't fit, then they didn't do it. You know, because you could have some things that are coincidences. So as much as we have on Rick, as much as we have on Greg, there might be a reason why there hasn't been that final piece yet. So that is something we also have to consider going forward because, you know, the person could still be out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think we covered a lot here and we really look forward to hearing what you guys think about this case If you're watching on YouTube, let us know in the comments. If you're listening on audio, you can always go to our website, CrimeWeeklyPodcast.com. You can leave us a speak pipe there. That's a voice message. We're getting tons of speak pipes from you guys, and uh, I'm really enjoying listening to them. Or you can send us an email, or you could reach out to us on social media. It's just Crime Weekly Pod. That's Twitter and Instagram, right?
0: You nailed it. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next week for our next case. Until then, bye.
0: Later.